This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, and welcome to Season 6 of Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers with social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Mr. Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Pros, are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, coming to you from lovely Bloomington, Indiana, joined, as usual, by my longtime co-host. We're on episode 256, I think that's true. He is the executive strategist of Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He's in Austin, Texas. He is the one, the only, Mr. Adam Brown. That was such a nice intro. Thank you, Jay. Very kind. Very kind. And, and it's uh, probably a little warmer down here in Austin than where you are. But you know, as I prepared for, uh, for this particular show, um, as you know, I'm a little bit of an idiot savant as it comes to jingles. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So it's, 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 I have, a lot of people don't know, don't know that about you, but yeah. you are an idiot savant. On I'm, I'm really good at Trivial Pursuit and really, really good with jingles. I wish there was like a Trivial Pursuit game that had jingles because the jingle that I was thinking about and singing for literally the past two days, so we'll have to thank our, our, our guest for this, was the I am stuck on Band-Aids because, finish it, Joe. Band-Aids stuck on me. Thank you. There you go. Now, that beca- that's because you and I are old. We are OGs <laughs> in social, brother. Uh, half the audience is like, what are these old fools talking about? Well, we probably just lost half our audience right then. Our, our <laughs> last week's show with, with Amy, she said, you know, that first eight seconds are really critical. So we, we probably just We're lost out. everybody. We're out. Yeah, we will so. link that up. We will link up the classic Johnson & Johnson Band-Aid brand uh, adhesive bandages commercial uh, in the show notes at socialpros.com. So if you're like, what are they talking about? Pause the show. Go to a browser or a phone. Go to socialpros.com. You'll find it. You can listen to it. You'll know exactly. If we had a higher production value, we just insert it right now for you. If we were like, you know, if we're like an NPR quality show, we just like right now you'd hear it. We'd insert it in post-production. But you know what? We don't have the time or the budget for that. So you can look it up yourselves at socialpros.com. But you know who knows a lot about Band-Aids and a lot about social advocacy? Our special guest today, Devin Iyer, who is the strategic engagement and advocacy leader at Johnson & Johnson, who makes Band-Aids and a whole bunch of other stuff. Devin, welcome to Social Pros. Thanks, guys. And Adam, to add to your jingles, do you know who wrote our Band-Aid jingle? <sighs> Probably Marvin Hamlish or... See, I know Barry Manilow wrote a lot of jingles back in those days. Axel Rose? Was it Axel Rose? Barry Manilow. It was Barry Manilow. It was Barry Manilow. Wow. Little wow. trivia. To Look at this. Yeah, and I promise this you know, was I not rehearsed jingles, at all. There's a Jingles podcast. That'd be a great show, Jingles Cast. Yeah. Maybe we should just stop doing this whole social pros thing and get into Jingles Cast. Yeah. Let us know. Send me an email, j at jbear.com. Let me know how much you like that idea of a Jingles only podcast. Uh, maybe we'll go that direction. But we can't do that now because we got to talk to Devin about what she's doing at Johnson & Johnson. Now, I think it would probably be interesting to start off Devin by just letting people know uh, some sense of all the things that J&J does because people know some of the brands like Band-Aid brand and, and some of the other things you do but they in most cases don't really have the full idea of how big the company actually is not only in the U.S. but abroad. Yep 
That's probably true. I actually think I probably worked there a year or so before I really figured out all of, of Johnson & Johnson. We've got three main divisions. Um, most people know us for our consumer products, like our Band-Aids, um, Tylenol, uh, baby products, those type of things. But we also have two other divisions. We have our pharmaceutical division, um, which makes a lot of our drugs and our therapies. And then we also have a medical devices division, which is where I started my career in J&J, so it's near and dear to my heart. They make everything from surgical sutures to um, things like contact lenses are considered medical devices. Um, all of that kind of stuff is in our medical device division. So there's really, there's more than 200 operating companies inside J&J, and we make a lot of things that people probably don't know we make. And you have a very large workforce all over, the, all over this globe, yes? We do. We have 130,000 people, give or take a few thousand. Okay, so we should have at least 130,000 listeners on this episode. We're going to hold you to that. And one of the ways you're going to do that, one of the ways you're going to ensure that this is the most popular episode of Social Pros ever, is by using your magic advocacy skills, which is what you do at J&J. Talk about that, about the advocacy program and how that rolled out. I would love to talk about my magical advocacy skills. Um, so I am working with J&J Corporate, so I'm not representing any of the lovely products that I just told you about. I'm, I'm sitting in the corporate division, and we're really all about corporate reputation. So one of the things that we did when we were starting this advocacy program for corporate is we thought about what the goals were and what we wanted to do with our advocacy program. And to back up for a second, to us, advocacy is really just enabling and empowering our employees to share our stories with their social networks. So it's a, a tool that does that. When we started, we picked, in, picked LinkedIn Elevate. Um, and one of the reasons we did that when we first piloted the program is because we wanted to influence talent. We wanted to influence corporate reputation through LinkedIn, which has already... Talent said, acquisition, you mean? Talent acquisition, right. So influence yeah. hiring and influence how people thought of us as an employer brand. Um, and LinkedIn already has such a strong brand um, and has such a strong base already that that seemed a very logical place to start. Um, so that's what we did. We started in... 2015, um, we picked LinkedIn Elevate. We picked it again because of the reputation, also because they've got the capability to share to multiple platforms um, and some pretty robust analytics behind the scenes to tell us how we were doing against that talent agenda. Um, and then also had some things like that were very important to our lawyers, like support for compliance. So you can put in there a little um, pre-scripted piece of content that we'll share with everything so we can put in hashtags that disclose to people who it was. By the way, this is not a LinkedIn Elevate commercial. We happen to pick LinkedIn Elevate um, and it's done very well for us, but these really apply to, to any program that people want to do. And those disclaimers and, and those compliance issues indicate that when a team member shares a piece of content in social, that they are in fact employed by the organization. They are. I mean, very important to the FTC and very important to us to make sure that it's clear that these people are associated with J&J. Um, you know, the FTC has also said that it's not enough to say in your bio that you're associated with an organization or, or that you have some kind of vested interest in the content that you're sharing, but you really need to say it in every single piece of social what kind of, content. What kind of hashtags do they have you used? Is it like my homies or something like that? Or is it like employer? I like that one. Where <laughs> yeah, if you can talk to lawyers, they can go with my homies. You can you can have that one for free. I like my. Homies. Uh, or do you have to say employer or or I work here? What, what are that? What's the phrasing they make you use? We chose my company. Um, I know there are okay. a lot of other uh, folks who use things like I'm with um, or I'm 
I'm team something. I think Hilton uses team Hilton. Um, yeah, they do. We have the the slight legal complication of when all of those operating companies that I talked about a few minutes ago, really, there aren't that many people who technically work for Johnson & Johnson. So I'm J&J doesn't really work for us. So we needed to pick something yep. a little broader. So we went with my company. Um, and of course, it doesn't have to be a hashtag. If you're sharing in copy, hey, I'm very proud of my company. That's all fine, too. Great. So you've got 130,000 employees and you're like, hey, some of these people have a social graph. It would be fantastic if they started to share good news about the organization with their friends. Do you go through and do an analysis of that enormous pool of employees and say, let's stack rank people by social graph and say, let's go talk to the most influential employees first and get them on board. And then the second most influential and the third most influential, or do you do it by job type or by location or by age? Uh, How do you roll something like this out? So the way that we started it um, is we fished where the fish were first and we went to our friends in the communication organization. So we sit in corporate communications um, and one of the the first places that we wanted to go was to our fellow communicators. So we could explain the program. They're going to help us evangelize it with the rest of the company. They're going to help us figure out who some of those social stars might be who we want to onboard. So that was the first pilot group that we started with. Um, Then we went to some adjacent groups that we thought were going to have a combination of what you just talked about, people with really strong profiles, um, but also people who had a lot of interest and maybe didn't have a strong social profile. Part of the what's in it for me in an advocacy program for some people is the chance to build that social profile. You know, when you it comes to talking about your company, especially a conservative company in a regulated industry, people get a little gun shy about what they can and can't share. Um, so something that serves up compliant content in a super easy way that they know is approved and that they can share, they're more willing to do that and they're a lot more comfortable. So we went to things like our, we have employee resource groups. We have one that's for millennials. Um, so we figured that was probably a pretty good place to find these types of people who might be interested. Um, we have a group in, in our organization called Creative Engagement that is made up of people who really have a passion for things like this, for advocacy and for engagement and those types of programs. So we started building with, with those groups internally. Um, and now we're at the point of doing exactly what you just said, um, especially from LinkedIn, since we're still working with Elevate, they're able to tell us some really high sharing types of profiles that are J&J employees who are on the program and on the platform already. So they're sharing without our advocacy program. So then we can come back around and try to rein them into the program. Yeah, rein them in, I think is probably pretty well. <laughs> it's a pretty good description, actually. Uh, you, so you can share inside your, your program uh, team members, your homies, can share to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Is that yes. correct? Yep. The homies can share all those places. Can they share anywhere else? Can they share to Instagram or some other place? They can, not through the Elevate program. Elevate is only plugged into those three places. Yep. But of course, you could take the content and share it elsewhere. So what about global? Because you do have so many people outside the U.S. And in some places, you know, Twitter's not the thing or LinkedIn isn't the thing. And maybe it's uh, some other kind of social platform. So for those individuals, it's, there's just not really an option for them today. 
There is not an option through the advocacy program through a formal tool today, um, but we're actually in 2017, we're expanding the program by adding another tool. It happens to be Social Chorus. Um, and we're just at the point where we're getting ready to launch. And that was one of the big drivers for adding another tool to the portfolio was to- Is more global platform Yeah, more global pa- yep. platform, you know, some different capabilities within the tool, and then the ability to kind of segment within the two channels. You know, we think of it almost like a magazine conglomerate, right? You know, you sort of have your Harvard Business Review, thought leadership in the, the LinkedIn Elevate platform. And then we've got, you know, more the kind of general- People magazine, if you will, of, of more general sure. content is how we're thinking of that. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Within the the big three that you're sharing to now, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, where, where do where do most of the shares occur? On LinkedIn, it's almost overwhelmingly when we look at the the metrics, it's almost overwhelmingly wow. LinkedIn. And do you feel like that's well, a because it's a LinkedIn software, but but b the nature of your products lend themselves to, to more of that kind of B2B conversation or C, people are more comfortable talking about their work in a platform that's about work? I think A, C, and probably D. Um, I think because it's LinkedIn, people, when they're going into that tool and going into that platform, they're sort of pre-programmed almost to think about career-type content, leadership-type sure. content, and they're thinking about how to share with people who are their professional peers. Um, I think the content, we don't post a lot about our products. Um, we post things like um, if it's business news, like um, if there's a, an article about us that, that talks about the industry, we'll post something like that. We post advice from our executives. Um, we post health and wellness tips sometimes. We have a health and wellness business, so we'll share things like that. Um, and I think that type of content lends itself to LinkedIn very well. Um, but I also think, you know, again, in, in adding another channel and adding another platform, we're talking about expanding beyond content that would just give you thought leadership and position you um, as a professional thought leader and kind of get more into the maybe friends and family sharing that you might mm-hmm. want to do. You know, the yeah, difference between I want to share this with my circle of professionals or I want to share it with my mom and my sister. Yep. Yep. High school, high school roommate um, versus exactly. yeah, former coworker. Uh, so how do your participants get notified that there is something that they might want to share? Is that an, is that an email notification? Is it a, is it a browser plugin? How do they know that there's some goodies that they might want to share? Most of them access it on mobile, um, either on their phones or on a tablet. The, the app is very nice. It's very easy to interact with. There's a desktop version as well. Uh, you can set notifications, so it will tell you every time that a new piece of content pops up. And we have some people who we can tell automatically they will share it within 20 seconds of having it go up, so we know they have their notifications nice. on. Um, or you can do it as sort of a self-serve model that whenever you are ready to go in and share and you kind of have the mindset of, oh, this is my advocacy time, this is my professional profile building time, you can go in and see what's been served up. Do you ever have, in other employee advocacy programs that either we've worked on as consultants or we've talked about here on the social pros podcast on occasion there are managers in the organization who sometimes will say this is great but now you are encouraging my team members to use their time to do this crazy stuff on social and that's making them less productive and they can't do their jobs and and all this time is being wasted doing this did you have any of that uh, in the rollout We didn't. Um, If we had, I think there are probably two good answers to that challenge. One of them is, you know, there are 
countless research papers that I think probably every one of your listeners has read about the statistics that talk about engaged employees are so much more productive. Um, and this is the expectation of how employees want to interact with their employers and their workplace these days. Um, so we could pull out plenty of white papers on that. Um, but I think the second piece is this program 18 months in is showing measurable business results. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a communications background by nature and I'm used to seeing things like reach and maybe earned media value. But we've been able to tie this program, especially because it's going against the talent agenda, we've been able to tie it back to influenced hires. I mean, that's a statistic that really goes to the bottom line. And it's sort of hard to argue with this is a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. This is impacting the company and changing our business. Yeah, I read somewhere that that you have logged like 400 new employees that were influenced by this program or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. The number's around 375 um, to date. Wow. Yep. Wow. That is, that is really remarkable. That's a lot of employees who are impacted by a program like this. Yep. That's what I said when I saw the results. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You said, I want a promotion. (laughs) Right. Do do you decide, uh, do you decide what it gets sent out to employees or is that a committee of people who decide which gets, how do you, there's a lot of things that you could send people, obviously. Uh, How, how does that filtering mechanism take place? In terms of deciding the content? That's right. The content that gets sent to, to team members and, and, and suggested shares. Yep. We have a curator. Um, so we curate a few different channels internally um, and curate this program as well. And so we have someone who's on my team who is the curator for LinkedIn Elevate. And we've got the general editorial view. And then we've got the, you know, does it meet this certain criteria? Um, and then we, like all good content producers, we keep track of what works and what doesn't work. And we try to optimize against that. To that point, Devin, what have you found that really works? What resonates both with, um, I guess you're kind of the two audiences, and I think that's one of the things that fascinates me about brand ambassadors or advocacy programs is that it works from an HR standpoint to help recruit and retain talent, as well as act as another kind of you know, endorsement of, of, of marketing for everybody who is a consumer, inevitably, of J&J products. What content works, in, in your opinion, and what, the, what does the data support? Things that tend to work um, that get shared and reshared, so, you know, kind of hits both of the audiences that you just talked about. Anything from our leadership or about our leadership. Um, so when we've had first-person perspectives from Alex Gorski, our CEO, um, there have been a couple of occasions where he wrote a blog for internal employees and we were able to work with the team and get that approved for external use. Those things do very well. Um, our head of human resources, Peter Fasolo, was interviewed by um, the IBM group on, on their thought leadership platform. That did very, very well. Um, so anything like that that's kind of coming from leadership and talking about advice and productivity and those types of things um, are very good. Anything that kind of hits at our business, um, mergers and acquisitions, um, you know, that kind of top level business news, um, people tend to like to read that. Things that demonstrate, that let our employees demonstrate pride in the company. So when we win an award, those things tend to kind of go gangbusters, again, on the shares and on the reshares as well. Um, The things that we find don't do as well um, are really very product focused. um, And when they kind of cross the line into being a little bit promotional, um, that doesn't tend to resonate as well with either audience. 
with this successful content that you've just articulated, is most of it content that has been created for uh, for another purpose or another function that you're repurposing, or have you created any kind of proprietary content that is going out kind of in its first showing to uh, to your ambassadors and your advocacy network? So far, we've done the former. We've done mostly curation of things that have appeared in other places. But you know, now that we've got some time under our belts and we've got some more grasp on what's working and what's not working in terms of content, we're definitely thinking in that direction of how do we do some more bespoke content and maybe break news through this advocacy program. I'm fascinated by by the number that you that you shared with Jay. Three hundred and seventy five. Uh, recruits or employees impacted by the program. I, I'm curious, Devin, as you look at those 375 folks, do they kind of fit any particular kind of you know level in the organization? Are you finding that this really resonates with a, a certain type of employee, whether it's you know with a department or or kind of a, a tenure or a, or or a rank? What what can you more tell us about those 375 folks that, that this really resonated with that, that our listeners could benefit from as they create their own uh, advocacy programs? It really is pretty diverse. When we looked at the pie chart of levels, um, we have people from entry level all the way up to vice presidents. I mean, in, when we look at the, the pie chart, we do have some, some high-ranking folks who have been influenced by this program. Um, geographic diversity, we're mainly North America. Um, I think that was one of the only commonalities. In terms of job function, it really is all across the map again. I mean, it really gives a nice diversity. Um, I think part of that probably comes from the fact that the user base is pretty diverse as well. We do have some pretty heavy users in our leadership. Our chief communications officer uses it. Our chief of HR uses it. Our head of diversity and inclusion, they're all pretty heavy power users. Um, So that will naturally hit some different pockets of folks as they go out to their networks. Um, But then we also have people spread throughout our organization from marketing folks in our pharma group to, um, you know, finance people in our medical device. And so again, part of what you're trying to do in advocacy is you're trying to reach through our employees to circles of people that we would not as a brand be able to reach directly. And so the more diverse the user base is, the more nice diversity you'll get in the results. That, that is fascinating and, and, and obviously so helpful to have you know, senior leadership that is embracing the program and embracing social uh, like like they are. That is that that's really impressive. They love it. They've made this a verb now. They'll email us and say, "Hey, can you elevate this so I can share it?" Oh, that's good. That's good. It's almost become an internal hashtag. I love that. Exactly. I love that. You know, you can't have any conversation around advocacy programs without talking about kind of compliance and uh, and, and and stewardship and governance. And certainly with Johnson & Johnson, two of your three main divisions are you know heavily regulated by the Food and Drug Administration and other uh, respective organizations in other parts of the world. So I have to ask, how do you kind of deal with that? How do you kind of ensure that these advocacy, these advocates and ambassadors of your brand, even well-intended, don't kind of accidentally make a misstep and create create legal problems for, uh, for your organization. I think that's one of the nice parts about these formal tools and programs like Elevate or like a, a social chorus or if anyone uses Dynamic Signal, Everyone Social, all of them, they really provide a format and a, a construct 
for activity that's going on anyway. Um, and that's a lot of the conversation that we had with our legal teams when we were starting these is, you know, we are, we're very blessed as a company to have 130,000 people who love our company and love talking about us and who are out there on social talking about us anyway. So what we're doing is actually making things more compliant by giving people the tools to do it properly. Um, so, you know, when you look inside the tool at things like we have the ability to write pre-populated social copy that is things that we know are going to be compliant and we can include the proper disclosure hashtags and things like that, it, it, it makes it possible in a way that's more compliant than just sort of closing our eyes and hoping that everyone took the social media training and is doing things correctly. I think that's a really interesting way to uh, to look and approach it, and you're, you're, I think you're exactly right that you know that governance and maybe that kind of freedom within a framework, if you will, really you know makes people feel a little bit more comfortable. Because I would know if I were you know being kind of an online spokesperson, if you will, for uh, for uh, for a huge brand like like Johnson and Johnson, there would be some anxiety and 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 again not wanting to uh, to make a mistake. Can you talk about the the training, the actual how you train people in social? What does that process look like? So for the advocacy programs, there's not too much of a formal process. Um, we do have a social media policy. Um, we call it the Worldwide Online Policy, and that covers all hundred. The Worldwide Online Policy. <laughs> worldwide Online Policy, worldwide. which covers all of our employees, whether social is part of your job or it's just um, you know what your responsibilities are as an employee of the company. So when you're signing on, you're reviewing that policy. Um, but the tools are fairly simple and self-service, so there's not a lot of real formalized training that goes on um, in addition to signing on to the tool and figuring out how to use that. We do try to help, especially with um, LinkedIn, we try to help people understand the ins and outs and the implications of building their online brand for themselves and for the company. So we do things like lunch and learns. Um, We've even brought LinkedIn to help talk about what makes a great profile. Um, And part of the secret sauce to get people to sign up came from somebody on my team who, in addition to bringing in LinkedIn and doing this workshop, also brought in a photographer to do headshots for people. Let me tell you, that was the candy to get people to come. Um, And it worked great. Free glamour shots in the conference room and pizza. I love it. Nicely nicely done. I want to take just a second to acknowledge the sponsors of this week's episode of Social Pros. Our friends at Yext, Y-E-X-T, the leaders in mobile marketing, uh, have a really interesting technology called duplicate suppression. If you go to offers.yext.com, offers.yext.com slash duplicates, you'll learn more about it. The way it works is if you've got a business that has an actual doorway... So a restaurant, a professional services office, a, a car wash, a dry cleaner, any of those kind of things, and any of the, the, the franchises uh, that manage those type of uh, locations, in many cases, if you do a mobile search, you'll find conflicting information. So Yelp says you're open at this time. Google says you're open at a different time. It's very confusing. It's total hassle for customers. So Yext goes in, automatically finds those inconsistencies, and helps you fix them so that your data is clean everywhere. It's really slick. Check it out, offers.yext.com com slash duplicates the show is also of course brought to you by salesforce marketing cloud they have a new ebook called the future of advertising future the future uh, it talks all about global ad spend and average click-through rates for google for facebook for twitter etc so if your boss says hey uh what's a good click-through rate for a twitter ad now you have a source to find that out a bunch of fantastic data in there download it it's right it's right up your alley social pros listeners go to bit.ly 
slash Salesforce ads. That's bit.ly slash Salesforce ads. Also, the show brought to you by our team at Convince and Convert. We do social strategy, content strategy, influencer strategy, and social media customer service strategy for some of the most interesting brands in the world. Convince and Convert makes your social better. Convinceandconvert.com. Adam, back to you. Jay, thank you, sir. Uh, Devin, Devin Iyer, strategic engagement and advocacy leader for Johnson & Johnson. So great to have you, uh, you on the show. I want to talk a little bit about how you got here because I think it's a fascinating story. Um, you mentioned uh, that you have kind of a communications background. Um, I know your team there at Johnson & Johnson is only one year old. So that's that's got to be interesting to really kind of create something from scratch that's never been created before. Talk a little bit about how you kind of got into this role and how you, like like me and, and, and Jay and many other uh, folks, kind of come from the communications world but are using those skills to do things that maybe just a few years ago wouldn't be considered traditional communications type activities. That's true. I think sometimes they're still not considered traditional communications activities. And some <laughs> people still wonder, I think my parents still wonder what I do every day. Um, yeah, I came from a communications background. I actually started my career. This will tell you how long ago I started my career, but I was at an agency that placed ads in the Sunday newspaper to hire people. And one of the expansions from that company was to buy a little company that owned this crazy idea called the Monster Board. So I was trying to sell online job ads to people who said, this is never going to work. No one is going to apply for a job on the internet. Um, the entire company is now called Monster.com. So I left there, took a tour through doing public relations for Bell Labs, which was an amazing experience. Arrived at Johnson & Johnson to do traditional PR um, and made a friend in corporate who, when his director of social media left the company, said, you should come do this. And I said, you're crazy. I don't know how to do social media. I've just been on Twitter longer than you. And he said, no, you should try this. So I arrived at corporate um, and started building J&J's external social media program. Um, we opened up shop in Facebook. We were in Twitter. This was kind of five, six years ago when everyone was getting their feet under them. Um, and we went through a real evolution in the program from what I called the flag planting days, where we really just showed up on every channel that was available, to a more stakeholder-focused strategy where we figured out who was going to have the most influence on the goals that we were trying to achieve, which was, again, corporate reputation, and then where could we reach those people and what were the tactics to get to those folks, um, which had a lot to do with advocacy, had a lot to do with an ambassador program, which I piloted while I was there, um, and the kind of community management and community building, also content shaping and, and all of those type of skills that worked for external social. Um, when our function reorganized and we set up this new group that was doing workforce communications and there was an opportunity to do engagement and advocacy internally for our workforce, that was exactly what I wanted to do next. So I arrived in this job about a year ago and it has been an amazing experience to, to help build this. It, it sounds like it, and and kudos to Johnson and Johnson for having the, the the forethought to 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 come up and and enable you to to be able to to do this. Well, it's a real trend too. I mean, we're seeing more and more social pros who who started off as outwardly facing social media marketers in big organizations now being brought 
sort of back in to do more HR recruiting focused internal social media or not necessarily internal social media, but social media on, on more of an HR slant and advocacy more so than the traditional uh, product marketing side of it. I think it's a really fascinating trend. Yeah, it really is. If you if you read some of the trends about where HR is going as a function and what employees are coming to expect from their workplaces, if you think about more millennials coming into the workplace and just the, the way that people's experience are, are changing, employees want to interact with their employers in a way that employers aren't necessarily ready to, to do yet. We don't have the same kind of Facebook or you know the same kind of experience that people have at home at work. And so I think corporations are starting to realize that and starting to think, hey, wait a minute, we need to bring these type of people over and create this experience for our employees. And, and I would assume, Devin, that the companies also are trying to kind of, you know, wrestle with the thing that we've, we've always always wrestled with, with, with social media, and that is who owns social media, like at, at, at Johnson Johnson. So it is a bit of a trick question, but how do you deal with that? Who owns social at JNJ, and then how do all of you kind of work together in different departments, different organizations, different geographies to, to ensure that everything is consistent and the right people, the right subject matter experts are empowered to, to tell their story? As a decentralized organization, I think we're very used to not owning things um, at J&J. You know, there, there's no one person that owns PR at J&J. There's no one person that owns marketing. Um, so I've long been a proponent of social, whether it's internal or external or whatever the, the channels or the tools are. It belongs with whomever is driving the business results that it serves. So, you know, from a corporate reputation and talent agenda, this advocacy program belongs with communications working very closely with HR. Um, for our brand like Clean and Clear that's doing social media that's targeting a, a younger kind of teen audience, they need to own their program at that level and the people who are closest to the brand. So, you know, there's some, some governance that happens at a corporate level when there are things like legal risks or, you know, compliance or regulatory hurdles. You know, there are people that, that write governance and, and give guidance from that perspective. But really, it's pretty agile and it lives as close to the customer. I'm making air quotes. Whomever that customer may be, um, it lives as close to the customer as we can. Is there any governance or, or standards as it relates to measurement? Um, so that everybody is kind of comparing the efficacy of a program for one brand or one corporate message, you know, consistently with, with another. There's not, from a governance standpoint, um, we do have sort of loose councils and alliances among um, the different folks who work on these things internally. So we have a, a uh, digital center of excellence in our consumer group that I've spoken with a lot in both my external role and internal. And we sort of do best practice sharing um, among each other and talk about who's measuring what. But again, the programs can be so different and are trying to achieve such different results that I don't think it serves us to try to force people into a measurement framework. I think it's more about learning from each other and what is possible to measure and then what actually is effective to measure. Devin, we love what you've been doing with the program and, and your expertise and your grasp on all the different components inside a big organization like J&J is really, really impressive. It's been a, a terrific show. We want to close out asking you the two questions that we ask all of our guests here on the Social Pros Podcast. The first is, if you could give somebody just one tip to become a social pro, what would that be? 
I think my tip would be stay humble and be kind as you are trying to become a social pro. I think one of the most amazing things to falling into this job and doing this job for the past five or six years is that there is such an incredible community of social pros, many of them who have been on your show um, and many of whom I have met. I wouldn't know what I know or be able to do what I do without the support and the generosity and the advice of all of those folks. So I think someone who is starting out and trying to be a social pro, if you're willing to admit that you don't know everything and you want to learn from other people and you're not a jerk, um, there are a lot of people that really are getting a lot of pleasure from helping others and trying to build this community and making us all better. Oh, that was really great. That was one of the best answers we've ever had on the show in six years. Yeah. I'm so flattered. It's really great. Last question with you, Devin Iyer from Johnson & Johnson. If you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be? Well, I have a two-year-old son, so the most practical use of my Skype call would probably be a <laughs> super nanny or a Dr. Spock, but um, I think the nerd in me wants to say... J.J. Abrams because he has Ooh. written or created Ooh, so nice. many of my favorite shows and movies and I would love a little behind the scenes scoop and maybe a look ahead. Good one. J.J. Abrams. That's a yeah. good one. And you are you are a little nerdy and you're I, totally proud of it. Uh, you told us in the pre-show that you have seen the musical Cats nine times. I have. Nine yeah. times. Nine, and nine. I can tell you nine times came from Ferris Bueller because I'm that much of a nerd as well. I, I am so nice. glad you got that. Thank you. Thanks, <laughs> it's my favorite movie. But you know, did you know it's coming back? They're doing a revival of Cats. Yes, I know. I don't know if I need to see it again, though. I think nine may be good. Well, but it's going to be all new. All, all new. The other thing that you told us that I just want to get into quickly before we sign off here is you, you are afraid of birds. Are you afraid of all birds or a particular kind of birds? Is that a Hitchcockian uh, circumstance? What, what, what's the deal there? All birds. They, they freak me out. You don't know where they're going next. They're very fluttery. I'm afraid they're going to be flying at me. I can look at them outside the window in my bird feeder, but if they get too close to me, I get a little twitchy. Wow. Okay. So you will never be the social media manager for some sort of aviary. That's not going to be The Autumn Society isn't calling. No. Yeah. <laughs> they're not calling. No, I think okay. there are other places I could go. So loves cats, hates birds. That sounds very suspicious. <laughs> it fits. It's convenient is what that is. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it fits. It fits. Devin, thanks so much for being on the show. It was a delight to talk to you. Congratulations on all the fantastic work at J&J. Uh, Adam and I are going to sing some jingles and go buy some Band-Aids together. And that will be it for this week of Social Pros. Join us again next week for another fantastic episode. Make sure that you take the time. We would love for you to go to iTunes and leave us a review. That means so much to us. And as always, just send me an email, j at jbear.com. That's my real email address. Let us know who you are, what you do, where you're uh, listening from. Uh, it's always great to hear from our audience. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert. Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext, and is produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.